Well, hello, hello. God bless you. Good evening. Thanks for tuning in to Bible Study Live this wonderful Wednesday evening, this chilly, cold Indiana weather Wednesday evening. But God is to be praised and God is to be blessed. And we're grateful to be able to come before you in this capacity to reach you where you are as you're tuning in online, as well as coming into the building. Let's bow our heads and let's pray and we'll go before the Lord in prayer and then we will start. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, God, we love you, praise you, appreciate you. Thank you for all that you are, all that you mean. We ask that you would strengthen us, illuminate us. God, give us uh, clarity and wisdom as we move into the things that you have for us and as we study. God, we thank you for every blessing that uh, you have given us. Thank you for every trial you've brought us through. Continue to encourage us, and we thank you. God, I pray a special prayer for Brother Josh Allen as he's in the hospital. We ask that you would continue to allow the doctors to figure out what needs to be done to get him back out and mend it to where he needs to be. And we thank you for doing that and the entire body of Christ at Radiant Dayton who's praying for Josh. We ask that you would just make a way for them, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. So we uh, are going to talk about Ephesians uh, 6 today. And uh, this was our title from Sunday. It was called Armed. And we're going to go ahead and go into the scripture that we had for uh, today. Actually, before we get into Ephesians 6, we're going to back up and work through the actual uh, points that we had. So let's go ahead and let's start with that first point that we had. So the first point was this, and this was the main, one of the major points, actually the main point. There's only two points, but under this point were are several sub points. So the main point is the question if our enemy is already defeated, why do we need to be armed? So what are we doing being armed and having the uh, defensive posture and the protective posture if our enemy is already defeated? And that's one of the uh, classic questions that we have in this uh, understanding of the Savior who was the Savior of the world. What's interesting is he didn't fix the fallen world. He only fixed us. And so we still have to process through the fallen world. And he didn't totally even fix the part of us that was fallen, which is our flesh. He just gives us dominion to walk through it and then arrive on the other end, the other side. And there's a question like, God, why would you do that? Well, one of the reasons why is that it's akin, more akin to his original plan. His original plan was to give us the earth and to have us dominate it, to have us be fruitful, multiply. And so he's giving us the authority to live that out in uh, our Christian walk. So for him to just fix everything doesn't make sense. We, we, we do have to kind of battle and I use the uh, analogy of being king of the hill on Sunday morning. You, you have to have the posture that, okay, God has reinstated us as the top king of the hill. And so we have to maintain that. We have to protect that and move in the space that we need to be to shine the way we need to shine. So let's go to this point here. So our enemy has amnesia. He gets amnesia. He, he forgets that he's defeated. And so it is our job to remind him. It's our job to reflect the fact that he's defeated. And if he can get over on us and make us feel like we're defeated, he'll do that. 
But we've got to rise to the occasion because God has already done what he's going to do. Jesus has already come to do what he's going to do. The Holy Spirit was sent to us for us to live it out and to walk it out. And so we, we've made this statement before, and we'll make it again later in a different way. But we're not working for salvation. We're working from salvation. So that has to be the mindset that we keep. And then we have to realize it's an honor to do battle. It's an honor to be armed because we are protecting what is already ours. Uh, for the example of a mother who has children, um, they become much more protective once the children has arrived, once they're there and they have come out of their womb, they become into these moms that are extremely protective because they're showing the gratitude of the life that they were able to bring forth. And they turn into these superhero women that are very protective because of what is theirs. They have a sense of ownership and possession. These are my children. I'll do everything I can to protect them, to put them in the best place that they can be possible. Uh, a weak-minded mother doesn't have that instinct to protect. But when you are, uh, when you don't have the children, that doesn't kick in. It only kicks in once it's been delivered to you. So the victory that Christ has done, it's delivered to us. And then we have to protect it. We have to defend it. We have to guard it. We have to be vigilant about it because it was won for us and then given to us. The scripture calls it a gift. So once you've been given a gift, you protect it. And so that question, I actually want to go back to that uh, question. The question that if our enemy is already defeated, why do we need to be armed? Because the defeat was a gift to us. It was a gift for us. And so we have to be mindful of that and protect the gift as if it was something great given to us. We have to show our gratitude as if I, if I was to give you a car, you show me your gratitude by putting gas in it, taking care of it, washing it, showing me, cleaning it out, showing me I appreciate what you've given to me. And now it's in my hands and I'm going to do everything I need to do. So the idea that just because Jesus has done it all and paid it all and finished it all, that we don't have any work in the process, that is a poor idea. The idea that we have is that we are protecting it. We are defending it because we're grateful for it. All right. So once again, we talked about the uh, our enemy has amnesia. So we're, we are reminding. And uh, in in that space and understanding that, we have to be unashamed in refreshing his memory. So we're grateful for it. We're grateful for this possession. And so we're unashamed and refreshing him that we are champions. We are winners. Our big brother has won the battle and we are reminding him we have been placed on top and we're staying on top. Now, you can try to push me off, but if I fall off, I'm getting back up and I'm reclaiming my position. I'm always reminding him because he's always trying to remind me of something opposite. He's always trying to point out something opposite. Uh, you know, he's called the accuser of the brethren. He's always trying to let us know you're not worthy. You don't deserve it. And so we have to remind him, well, hey, you were in the position and you lost it. You got kicked out. So while you're trying to make me feel like I should be defeated, I have to keep reminding you that you are defeated. You are already defeated. You already lost. 
You already tried it out and lost. I'm in the process. I'm trying, but you tried and failed. And so uh, you may tempt me and tell me that I'm failing, but you have failed final. Like you don't have another shot. I still got another shot to get up and go forward. So we have to continually refresh his memory that we are on top and we plan to stay on top. And so having said that, we went to the scripture here, which says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Everyone that believeth to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So it's just a sense of saying, hey, I know what I have. I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not ashamed to talk about it. I understand it's powerful. I understand uh, the whole story of the gospel, like we're moving into the Christmas season and people talk about uh, uh, Christ being born, but it's not just him coming and being born. There's a whole story of him going through, living through life, coming through prophecy. Even before he showed up, he was prophesied. He is the Messiah. He's the King. He's the Savior. And so there's power in that. It's power in the good news. And I can't be ashamed of that. I can't back down that uh, off of that, even though there may be some failures in my life and some uh, hiccups, some issues, some things that I'm working through. But the good news is that in the end, I still win. On the journey, I'm going to win. I'm going to figure it out. God has got me. And so I'm not ashamed of even the process that I'm going through. I'm not ashamed when the devil points out my failures, my mishaps, my mistakes. I don't allow that to stop me and slow me down because I'm looking at the finish line and know you already lost. You can't win. You've been disqualified. It would be like a person playing a uh, maybe an NBA game and they got ejected. You can talk all you want, but you can no longer influence the game. So if I allow you to get in my head, I'm the dumb one because your path has already been finalized. You're done. You're ejected. You lost. I still can win. Now, I may be down by 20 in the second quarter, but by the fourth quarter, I can still win. I can still shoot. I can still try. So I'm not going to listen to the negativity, and I'm not going to be ashamed because I understand there's power in the good news, power in the gospel. I want to go back to that. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Salvation here is a Greek word, soteria, or soterion, which means uh Healing, preservation, safety, soundness, prosperity, deliverance. It doesn't just mean born again. So when we think of salvation, we think of being born again and we get to go to heaven. But there's there's more to it. Uh, of course, that's one piece of the pie, but there's more pieces in the pie. And so there's a lot of things that this, the power of God or the power of Christ is bringing to me in salvation. There's, there is healing. So that means whenever things are broken, there is a process of healing. Uh, whenever there's bondage, there's a process of deliverance. Whenever there is a lack, there's a process of, of prosperity. Wherever there's confusion, there's a process of soundness. So as long as I stay in the process, I can always achieve progress in the process that is a part of the whole pie of salvation. And it's frustrating to the enemy because he can try to take one piece, but you still have several other pieces. And while you have those other pieces, you are still demanding that other piece back. Yeah, uh, I still want that back. I still plan on getting that back. My Savior purchases for me. He gave this to me. It's a gift. I want it back. And so 
the fight that we are fighting is a very righteous, honorable fight because it's saying, I want everything that my Savior died for me to have. And until I get it, I'm going to keep working toward it, keep believing for it, keep staying in the progress and the process of it until uh, it's realized. And whatever you try to throw at me in that process of journey, I'm not going to allow it to stop me. I'm going to keep getting up and keep going forward. So it's, it's an, it's an honorable fight. Uh, as, as a father and a husband to protect my wife and children is an honorable. Now, do I want to get in fights and do I want a robber to try to break in? No. But if they do, I want to be prepared and ready. And if I'm able to protect and defend them, it's an honor in it. It's a great honor because of how much they mean to me. So that's the whole premise. And so now we, we need to kind of move on because I'm about to get stuck. It's so good. I'm about, I'm about to get stuck here. So let's, let's go to this. We are defending what was previously won, which I've, I've kind of shared that with you. And so here's a statement that I made earlier about salvation that we're going to make again in a different way. And here it is. We aren't fighting for victory, but from victory. The victory is already won. We're fighting from that. We are protecting what was already won. And so the reason why we need to be armed, even though the enemy is defeated, is because we are in protection mode. We're not trying to win it. It's already won, but we are protecting it. When you are a champion, uh, like a, a boxing champion, you have uh, what they call defenses. You have to defend your uh, belt. You have to defend your uh, title. And in your title defense, there's a lot of people that come at you, but because you're on top, you attract certain people. The people can make their name if they beat you because they can take your title. They can take your belt. So defending what is already won actually makes your name that much greater. And when you are the champion and you have challengers coming at you, you get to dictate the purse when it relates to boxing in most cases, the challenger doesn't get as much uh, money and much of the winning pot as you do. Even if you lose, you already take more of the money because you're the champion. They are the challenger. And so that is the mentality that we have is that we already are winning. We are already on top. And every challenge that we go through is because of what, where we already are, because of what was secured for us, because we carry the belt, we own the belt. And so we are just fighting and protecting that. All right. So let's uh, go to this scripture here. First Peter 3.15 says, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, as being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. And so here, what is uh, being talked about is actually talking about a normal defense, uh, meaning uh, they call it apologetics, is where you are able to uh, argumentatively, and when I say argument, I'm not talking about like being mad and fussing at each other, or more like a debate. You're able, if someone attacks you, like an atheist attacks you, or someone for another religion, you're able to defend why you believe what you believe or why God means what he means to you. But then uh, let's go back to it. It uh, says that you do it with gentleness and respect because it is a 
you're communicating with people. And the goal is to win over those who are who are challenging you. But as it relates to the demonic forces, you don't have to have a gentleness and you don't have to have a respect. You are defending what belongs to you. And you can be belligerent, confidently arrogant against the enemy because you already know he's lost and he's just trying to trick you. So understanding that when it comes to humans and you need to defend yourself or, or you know, they are attacking you for what you believe, you have a right to defend yourself, but do it in the gentleness and respect. Don't, don't try to pick fights and pick arguments. Don't try to pick arguments with atheists, but be the type of person that you understand. If I am pressed, I have a reason and I, I have enough word in me to say, this is why I believe what I believe based on this. Even some of you need to go beyond just the Bible and study history, church history, study how things happen. So when someone tells you that Christianity is a white man's religion, you don't just sit there and look at them. You're able to communicate and articulate, but you still do it with the gentleness and respect. However, our major arming that we're talking about is the demonic forces. And so we don't have to have that gentleness and respect. We don't even have to have the conversations. And when we're having conversations with people, you are thinking that you can win a brother. You can win a sister. So you're willing to have these conversations. You're willing to defend yourself of the attack, but also plant seeds that may cause them to be saved at some point in their life. But when it comes to the enemy, you don't even have to have conversation. The scripture says, of Jesus. He said this. He said, Satan, the Lord rebuke you. That was it. He, and even in Jude, it talks about an angel saying basically the same thing, saying, I'm not even going to bring a railing accusation. Just Satan, the Lord rebuke you. There comes times where you just have to rebuke the enemy, which rebuke means stop, go no further. Look, I'm warning you. And sometimes you need to be in that space. You don't have to have a whole lot of communication with the enemy. So uh, I wanted to bring that up and I was taking it out of its context, but I thought I could help it make sense for you guys. So that's verse 15. And then if we go to Philippians 1, 15 through 16, it says, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. This switches it to the a conversation of uh, people who actually call themselves Christians. And they have ulterior motives in what they do. They're not really in it for God. There are some people who are in religion. And even though they're Christians, they're not really godly people. They're just caught up in religion, tradition. And they may attack you for your freedom. Well, you don't go to church enough. You don't pray enough. You don't fast enough. Because they are, uh, they're really caught up in what they're in. And so uh, going back to the scripture, they have envy and rivalry, so they're really trying to use comparison and many things to kind of just downplay who you are. And you have to understand that there are some areas where you are placed in those areas and conversations for a defense of the gospel, which is the good news. And so the good news doesn't come with a whole, body, a whole bunch of tradition and uh, laws and regulations. That's not what the good news is. The good news is that God seen reckless, wretched people and decide I'd, I'll die for them. I'll give my soul for them. I'll exchange my blood for their wretchedness and recklessness. And if they believe in that, they are part of the body. And you have a right, if you need to, to defend that. And 
there's 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 a lot of places I can go with this. So, uh, but I don't really have time. So I will say this for those of you who want to study, study. Look at Galatians, the first chapter, and you'll see that Paul talks about how the church of Galatia, how they, he said, I'm so basic. He was, he was actually perturbed with them, a little ticked off. He's like, I'm, I'm a little ticked off that y'all have so soon changed in what I taught you for another gospel. And then he says, but there is no other gospel. Then he starts talking about the grace of Christ. And so if you put it together, he's basically saying the gospel of grace is the only gospel because the other things are not the good news. So I'll give you an example. I heard a uh, preacher up talking and somebody had a clip of it and they, they are talking about what, uh, what do we think of it? So the preacher gets up and he's like, uh, all these worldly pastors that get up preaching with holes in their jeans and you, you got churches that have to have smoke in the building and lights and, uh, um, uh, what is it? And turning, turning lights off and basically just going on a rant about things that are not really the gospel. It's really opinion because he's saying, well, that stuff is worldly. You like, like too many churches are trying to be like the world. And there is a critique that are some churches are trying to be like the world, but there are a lot of churches that feel like if you don't do it this way, that it's not right, that you can't serve God unless you're serving God this way. You can't serve God with an earring in your ear. You can't serve God with tattoos on you. But where do you get that from? Because when you study scripture, you really can't get it from scripture. You may have thought you got it from scripture, but you didn't read enough of it to realize that really what you're doing is preaching your opinion. And so when people, religious people try to put their opinion on you, you have a right to defend the gospel. The gospel is the good news. The gospel is not a bunch of this, that, and the other. There are some people that don't believe in music in the church. So uh, if you happen to have music in your church and you, you talk to them, They'll tell you, well, you, you're, you're not saved because that's not it. Or some people don't believe in speaking in tongues. Some say speaking in tongues is of the devil. So if you're speaking in tongues, you're not saved. So you have the right to tell people, I, I don't care what you say. I know I'm saved because of the gospel, which is the good news that God will save anybody. It's not about what you have on, not about what you wear. It's not about what you're coming out of, what you were addicted to. He didn't, when he died on the cross, he died for anyone who would believe. And you have a right to defend that. Now, it doesn't mean that you can't listen to someone and see if you could be a better witness of the gospel. Is there things that I'm doing that I could do better to show forth the gospel more? Maybe I can listen to that. But you have to be very careful. People tell you, you can't serve God and do this. You can't be saved and do that. You can't do it this way. If you're, if your pastor doesn't preach in a suit, you're in the wrong church. How can you say that? How can you say that? Cause, cause suits weren't worn in Jesus day. So did Jesus have to wear a suit? Well, you can't be singing this new stuff. And if you have gospel rap, then you, you're going to hell. Well, well, how can you say that? Well, the hymns, you need to sing the hymns. But what people don't know about the hymns is when the hymns came out, they were Traditional people that said the hymns were no good because they sounded too much like the bar music. A lot of the hymnals and things that we sing that, that were sing that we look at back as traditional when they came out, 
there were people who railed against them and talked about how awful it was, how worldly it was, because there were certain hymns where they stripped bar music and put God's words to it. And they were called horrible. Years later, those are the things that the church holds on to. And so now those are the only things that can be sung. But years ago, that was wrong. Uh, nowadays, young people look at BB and CC Winders and say, Oh, they're, they're amazing. They're, they're cool. But when they came out, some said they're too worldly. Uh, the group commission, Fred Hammond, when he was in the group commission on their album, they decided to wear jeans on uh, one of their albums. They had blazers and instead of having suit pants, they wore jeans and there were certain churches that said, you cannot sing here. You can't be singing the gospel and you got jeans on. So none of that is the gospel. That's opinion. Tell me you don't like it and don't tell me I'm not saved because I do it. And so what happens is a lot of people have hangups that aren't the gospel. And Paul said, I was put here to defend the gospel. And he kept talking about the gospel is just the good news of God's grace toward us who were lost and he caused us to be found. That's really the good news. It's not good news if it comes with a whole bunch of attachments, a whole bunch of stipulations. Hey, I'm going to give you a car, but you can't drive on Megalier. You can't drive on Wheeling. You can't drive to Anderson. You can't drive to Indianapolis. And you can only drive in reverse. Well, I really don't want your car. Thanks. I, I like to have a car, but if I can only drive in reverse and I got all these stipulations, it's no longer a gift. It's no longer good news. It's, it's too complicated. And so many people have complicated the good news and you have a right to defend yourself from the gospel. Well, some people talk, some people went to Beyonce concerts. Some people talk about how it's too demonic. You can't do that. Now, be honest, maybe you can't, but that doesn't mean the next person can't. You can't put your convictions on someone else. And when someone is doing that, you have a right to defend yourself from that. So being armed is, is important. I didn't go in that much detail on Sunday, but there, you can have that. So let's look at uh, C. Our enemy thinks he can wrestle victory away from us. He's still convinced that he can pull things out of our hand. He can't, but if he can get us, if he can pick with us enough to where we lay it down, then he can grab things from us. But he has this mindset that he can wrestle things away from us. So with that mindset, here, let's look at Ephesians 6. Let's, let's get actually get into uh, the study that we really want to go into, which is the Ephesians study. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. That actually is, um, when you look at it in the King James, that actually is, thank you, that actually is, it says wrestle, before we wrestle not against flesh and blood. So, it actually is, and here, let's, let's go back to this scripture. Here it says a struggle. Let me see if I can, hold, hold on just a second. I, I lost it. Let me get back to it. So for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities. Look at all these categories. You got rulers, authorities, powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. So what that is saying to us is that we're fighting in two places, two realms. We are earthly, knowing that at some point we're going to go to heaven, but and that is what we call the third heaven. But in between the sky and the second heavens, the space is 
demonic activity. So we're fighting all of that. So many of our struggles and wrestles is because of our elevation. The higher we go up in the spirit realm, and some people have used this phrase, new level, new devil. You, there's more that come, comes at you, but it's a, it's a sign that you're rising above just being an earthly person, that you're moving into the supernatural. You're not just natural, you're moving into the supernatural. And if we don't stop you, this is what the, the demons, the rulers, the spiritual weakness, the dark things think. If we don't stop you, you will keep rising. You will keep going higher and higher. And eventually when you die, you will cross over into heaven. So we don't have any choice but to attack you. We don't have any choice but to pick you with you. We don't have any choice but to send people to mess with you. Some people, uh, they do fine. And then they have things that they wouldn't expect. They have a breakdown in the family, people that they loved all their life. And now they're adults and they're battling with their family. Like I never thought that my biggest enemy would be someone who we shared meals together when we were younger. Other people, they come to church and their biggest enemy is somebody who comes to church. There's somebody at church that's picking with them, bothering them. It's like I came to church to get away from trouble. And it keeps finding me. That's not always a bad thing. It could have to do with your elevation and your going up. And your because the devil thinks he can wrestle things away from you. So you just have to be armed and prepared. You don't, you're not always fighting all the time, but there's sometimes you're just gonna, you're gonna have to fight and you're gonna have to go through that. And it's okay to go through that and come out on the other side and then, um, take other people through that process. And so as a mentor or a disciple maker, what happens is you learn and you you can recognize, oh, they're being picked with the way I used to be picked with. So I'm going to go in and help them overcome, help them grow. All right, let's go here to this uh, verse here. So verse 10 says this, we, we went to 12, but then we're going to go to 10. It says, finally, my brother, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. So the major point is you're going to have to fight, but you're going to be okay if you're fighting in his might. If, in, a, in other words, if you're fighting with his equipment, you're going to be okay. One, one of the major reasons why Ukraine has not been swallowed up by Russia up until this point, and they've been able to uh, be a formidable foe, the uh, Putin wanted to just use Russia and take over Ukraine. At some point, Ukraine was a part of Russia. There was an annex, there was a separation. Putin wanted it back, and they were just going to run Russia out over it. But America began to send artillery, weapons. They began to use America money to support Ukraine and giving them what they need. And they've been able to withstand. They're much smaller, and they've been able to make it because they're fighting really in the might of the American uh, economic war <laughs> machine. So they're able to stand. Well, if you're fighting by yourself on your own, you're going to lose every time because you're fighting demonic forces and you can't see that. You, 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 you can't, you're a human being. You can't fight demons in your humanity. But the scripture plainly says this, finally, my brother, be strong, what? In the Lord and in the power of his might. Oh, I don't have to fight in my strength. So that's what makes the fight fixed and makes the fight uh, even actually funny that I'm not going to lose because I'm not fighting with my stuff. I'm fighting with God's stuff. As long as I'm fighting with God's stuff, he, first of all, he beat him the first time. 
And now he's given me the power to do it. So I'm going to win. I just have to outlast. It's not a matter of will I win or won't I win. It's just can I outlast? Can I persevere? Can I keep going through it? Because even though you're winning, it can be tiring consistently fighting. The fight can wear you out over time. And so you just have to have the mindset, as long as I can outlast, I'm going to be okay. All right. Let's uh, look at this then. We need to be armed because that's how God told us to stand. So here's uh, the last uh, point that we have in understanding this is simple. Okay, why are we armed? Well, simply because that's basically what God said to do. So when when I say it that way, I'm saying that if it was left up to us, we would have chosen another way. I'm, I'm explaining to you why it's this way, but let's just be human for a second. If God is so great and so awesome and Jesus is so powerful, why don't why don't we just do it another way? Why don't you just take care of everything and let me just go through life and not have to fight anything? That seems like an easier way for me. But at the end of the day, that's not how God designed it. So our obedience says, okay, you know best, so I'm going to do it your way. And if you say, I need to be armed to fight a defeated foe. It may not make sense to me, but one thing I'm learning is if I don't do it your way, I end up getting beat up. So I got to use your might and your power and your strength, and I got to do it your way. And when I don't, things don't turn out that well for me. So I may not like it, and it may not be what I want, and I may have questions when I get to heaven, God, why did it have to be this way? Why did I have to go through that? But at the end of the day, this is what you said to do. So let me just do it your way and kind of get over it. You know, uh, at some point when you're growing up, you've heard this term because I said so. There are some things that parents don't feel like explaining because sometimes you're not going to understand it. If I really explain it, I can talk to you till I'm blue in the face, but I'm just going to put it out to you like this because I said so. And that's that you back in in my day, that ended the conversation. It was nothing else to say. So we need to be armed because that's how God told us to stand. That's what he said. This is what he said to do. So we're just going to figure out, okay, I'm going to do it your way. And hopefully it works out and always works out when we do it his way. All right. So we need to be armed and dangerous. We need to be armed and dangerous. We need to be doing things according to God's way. And we need to be armed because he told us to be armed. But let's not be armed and weak. Let's be armed and dangerous. In other words, if I got to do it this way and I have to fight, I might as well fight well. I might as well fight good. I might as well get good at this. You know, if if, if it's going to happen and it's going to come at me, I don't want to be on the bottom. I want to be when I swing, I want to be connected. I want I want the devil to be scared of me. So I'm going to do it your way and I'm going to try to actually get good at it good at it. Now, excuse me for another second. So we want to be armed and dangerous to put that back up, armed and dangerous. All right. So how do we do that here? We put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So how do we do it? We do it by not half stepping it, put on the whole armor of God. Well, I just, I'm going to put on this, but I'm not going to put on that. I'm going to do this, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to uh, 
I'll come to church, but I don't think I want to give. Listen, you can do what you want to do, but don't be mad when you don't get the results you want to get. So if you can do it wholly the way God says do it, that's probably the best way. So if you want to be on the top of the game and stay on top of the game, put on the whole armor of God. And here's the reason why, not just because God says so, because he actually tells us why. Why? That you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So that seems to suggest that the schemes of the devil, even though he's a defeated foe, they would work against us if we don't do it God's way. He's defeated, but he is tricky. He's defeated, but he's been here a long time. He's defeated, and when we looked at the ranks, he's got a lot of ranks and categories of demons. He's defeated, but he's actually organized. Demons are organized. The devil is organized. He's structured. How how and why is he organized and structured? Because He's watched God. He doesn't create anything. He perverts things. So he's watched God. So he's trying to do what God did. So God says that your foe, even though he's defeated, he's a formidable foe. He's a tricky foe. He's got schemes. And so you can win, but you're going to have to do it wholly. Um, an example in the sports uh, world, sometimes when kids, uh, when, they, when they grow up and they, they learn that they can jump, they start practicing on jumping and touching the rim and grabbing the rim because they see people dunking. And someone tells them, you need, you need to do some dribbling skills. Well, no, I don't worry about that. I'm trying to jump and touch the rim. Well, sometimes those kids stop growing. And then they don't get as tall as they think that they were going to get. And now all that jumping didn't do them any good because they're too small to play down there with the big fellas. So now they have to play as a guard. And as a guard, you need to know how to dribble. But they didn't work on it because they thought they didn't need it. And now they're in a place where they can't go very far because they thought, oh, I don't need it. But somebody was telling them, nah, you need to work on your whole game. You need to work on this. You need to work on that. But everything is not flashy and everything's not fun. When, when God says put on the whole armor of God, all of it's not fun. But you need all of it in order to stand. And so if that's what he says, that's what we should do. We should do it his way. All right, so let's let's look at it in picture form. And so uh, Paul was using an analogy and a metaphor, and he was using it from the Roman soldiers of their day. And so we're looking at the Roman soldier on the left side. That's how they were built and made. Very little skin showing, a little skin, but very little skin showing. So there was a lot of protectiveness there. And then when you look over on the right side, it shows uh, it laid out according to the analogy that Paul talked about. So what we'll do is we'll just go to the scriptures here and it'll help us. It says, stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. So it talks about our belt and our chest right away. And it talks about truth and righteousness. So uh, those things. Now, the scripture talks about we have God's righteousness. That was the gift that we were given. He exchanged, he took on our sin and gave us his righteousness. But we put that over our heart. That's uh, uh, when we say that we allow Jesus into our heart. It's not like it's not like the human being Jesus is getting into our heart, but it's, his righteousness is over our heart. So we are trying to move ourselves in a way that is right. And when our heart feels that something is not right, we try to adjust to the righteousness of God. And how do we do that? We do that through the truth. By being honest, being truthful, 
and understanding. And that's how we grow. So it starts off in those two places. And then it goes on to Ephesians 6, 15. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Now, this goes back to what we were sharing earlier about the gospel and defending the gospel. But the real gospel is the gospel of peace. And it's talking about the good news. And so we are not arguing and fussing and fighting. We are defending what we need to defend. But but there's a peace about it. When we show up because of the good news in our life, because of the righteousness, the truth, and the gospel, we bring peace where we go. We ought, we ought to bring a certain calm, a certain level of peace. And people, especially like older people, when you uh, watch them, like your grandmothers and grandfathers, and sometimes you come to their houses and their homes, especially those who've lived for God for a long time, there's just a peace there. You feel peace because they have a, they've lived out the gospel for so long that that just even their space around them is peaceful. There's just a certain peace. And then you would see them when you're young, sitting on the porch, drinking iced tea. And you'd be like, boy, that's boring. But the older you get, the more you wish, especially if they're gone. Oh, I wish I could sit with grandma and just sit at the dinner table with her or sit on the porch with her because there was a peace that she carried. That's because she lived that gospel. And the, and the more you grow in that gospel, the more your feet bring peace wherever you are, wherever your presence is, peace is. Because the, in the presence of the Lord is fullness of joy. And what happens is people, when they walk in the righteousness and the truth and the gospel, then their presence becomes close to the presence of God. And there's just a peace. You, you begin to feel that there in the peace of God. All right. And the scripture also says, let the peace of God that passes all understanding guard your heart and mind. All right. Look at verse 16. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. So uh, I think I want to go uh, backwards and find that uh, that picture again. We'll put the picture back up. So that long shield, that is there to knock those darts down. So the scripture told us that we need the whole armor of God, number one, to stand. Then it talks about the darts. So the tricks of the enemy, in order to stand and not slip and fall, you have to have on the whole armor of God. But also something you need to know, he's going to lob darts at you. He's going to be throwing things. The devil doesn't always want to come and get in your face. Sometimes he wants to stay back and just throw things, throw darts. And you have to understand that he understands the closer you get to him, the more defeated he is. So sometimes he wants to suddenly sneak in and throw things to you, at you. Some people struggle at night. While you're sleeping, the devil will come in and try to throw dreams at you or just throw insomnia where you can't go to sleep or rest or or he'll try to attack things in your home. Things will start breaking down. He doesn't really want to deal with you face to face because he knows who you are. So he's throwing these darts. And so the scripture says the way we handle that is that we have this shield of faith in all circumstances. Take up the shield of faith. In other words, we keep faith up at all times. Even when we go through things that weaken our faith and cause us to be in a place of doubting, we still throw up that defensive shield of faith because it actually stops the darts and it actually extinguishes them, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. So that shows us that the dart, the only power the dart has is that it's lit on fire. 
And so once the fire is put out, the dart won't hurt. But if you don't block it and don't extinguish it, then you're in trouble. So that faith, keeping your faith up just stops the effectiveness of every one of the attacks of the enemy. Now, the Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So the more you hear the word of God, the more your faith grows. And so the bigger your shield gets. So we want a large shield like they have. We want a large shield. We don't want a tiny shield. We want our faith grown. We have a large shield. And then just think that shield is extinguishing all the fiery darts. It's actually putting the fire out. It's causing everything he's throwing at you not to be able to work. But if the fiery dart gets through, not only can it poke you, it can burn things. It can burn things around you. It can burn things that you've built. So the shield of faith is vitally important. All right. Uh, looking at, at that, here is the next point that I had I only had two points. So the second point, the first point had several sub points. Second point has a few sub points, but the second point is this being armed only requires two offensive weapons. So, so far we haven't talked about anything offensively. And so when you think of that, it reminds me of this uh, saying, cause I keep using sports uh, terms, sports analogies and, uh, Paul, he was using analogies that they would understand. I'm using analogies that we would understand. So this saying is offense wins games, defense wins championships. So when you are a champion, you're known for your defense because number one, everybody brings their A game against you when you're a champion. You have to be able to score. Scoring puts up points. Scoring is flashy. Scoring is nice. But you have to be able to stop the other person from scoring. And the greatest teams and the greatest champions, they also had great moments of defense where the other team could not do what they wanted to do. And so there are things that the devil wants to do and he can't do because we have great defense. And so in the armor of God, the majority of what was talked about is all defensive. It hasn't even talked about anything offensive yet because if you can defend well, you are a champion. So that's why the uh, the scripture talks about the whole armor of God and the majority of it is defensive because, what once again, we've already won. We are already champions. We have a challenger coming. So it's very important that we're able to defend and stay in the victory that we already have. But you do have to score. You do have to have some offense. And so there are two offensive uh, weapons that we need to be able to understand. So let's go to these two offensive things. Here's uh, point A. The word is part of our offense. So not only does the word uh, help the shield grow in faith, but the word has something else to it. So uh, let's look at verse 17. It says, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So this is part of the dangers. We're armed, but we're also dangerous. We have an offensive thing. And so we actually have a sword. We have a weapon. We don't just have defense, we have a weapon, and the Word of God is our weapon. So the more you learn about the Word of God, the more you grow in the Word of God, the more dangerous you become. You don't become just armed, you're armed and dangerous because you have a weapon. The Word of God is a weapon. The Word of God, we remember, have to remember, the Word of God is what built everything that we see. The Scripture says nothing that we see was not framed by the Word word of God. So that means even the devil that we're facing, it came out of the Word of God. So we can use the Word of God to stop it. In other words, God created everything. So even though Satan is twisting stuff, we have to remind him, hey, I know the person who created you. 
So since I know the manufacturer of you, I know how you can be shut down. I know how you can be torn apart. So the more I am versed in the word of God, the better off I am and the more offensive I can be and the more uh, weaponized and uh, dangerous I can be. So the word of God is vitally important to our lives. All right, here's B. Prayer is a part of our offense. So the two offensive weapons is the word of God and prayer, which is quite simple. So let's look at verse 18. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. So uh, Paul is saying that using all kinds of prayer. One scripture says pray without ceasing. Doesn't mean that you never, never, never stop praying but it means that you have all kinds of ways to pray. You can pray long, you can pray short, you can pray quick, pray fast, you can pray in depth. You can pray for people, you can pray for your family, you can pray for yourself, you can pray for your appliances, you can pray for your job, you can pray for your car, you can pray for your clothes. There's so many ways and all that is offensive because the devil doesn't know what to stop because you're praying over all kinds of things. So many of us who think a lot, we have a lot of thoughts, you can turn those thoughts into prayers. Instead of just thinking about, man, I wonder when am I going to be able to get enough money to get a new refrigerator? You can turn that into a prayer. God, keep the refrigerator I have working. Now, Father, open up doors for me to get money to get a new refrigerator. Father, show me what refrigerator I need to be looking for. Show me what uh, what store to go to. So now you've got seven prayers off of one thought. But the devil just wants you to think about it. Oh, man, I wonder what we're going to do. How are we going to make it? And instead of, and the more you think negatively, that turns into what we call worry. So instead of worrying, turn those things into prayers and think. And so you'll, you'll find that you have the ability to be praying all the time because you're thinking all the time. They say that the, I think the average human has 70,000 thoughts a day. 70,000. Just think if you took 10% of those thoughts and turned them into prayers, that would be 7,000 prayers in a day. Obviously, they're not long, drawn-out, deep prayers. just quick prayers. Father, God, bless this. Fix this. I wonder what's going on with that. God, give me wisdom in this area. Those, All those are prayers. And so, as Paul says, and we'll look at it again, praying at all times in the Spirit, also your heavenly language. That's a prayer. All Everything that you have, all the things that you've been taught about prayer, you can use them, and that keeps you very offensive. And so that what that means is when the devil does try to get close, he always is coming up against one of your prayers. So he's getting smacked in the face in order to get to you. Uh, an example of that, some uh, people, especially men, if a man, is try- a man is trying to get to a woman who's fighting and mad and, and swinging, a lot of times a man doesn't know what to do but to grab her because they're going to get hit and scratched a hundred times before they can even get to her because they're like... And that's what our prayers need to be like. When the devil even gets close, he's getting slapped, scratched, kicked because we just going off on him. That's how our offense should be because we have the word of God and we have prayer. Now, what if you put the two together? What if you begin to pray the word of God? That's a powerful uh, weapon. Like a, It's like a, a life hack. You can actually open the Bible and actually pray it. So you say, well, okay, I don't know what to read. Open your Bible and just pray what you see. Take it to the Psalms and and pray. Uh, here's a Psalm 27 says, one thing have I desired of the Lord and that will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever to behold the beauty in his sanctuary. So you just turn it into prayer. Father God, in the precious name of Jesus, there's one thing I've desired of you and that's that I may dwell in your house, that I may behold your beauty. You're not even using your own words. You're using words that David wrote, but you're turning that into a prayer and that becomes extremely offensive. So now you're armed and dangerous. 
But I wanted to add something because normally when we teach on the armor of God, we start stop there, but I'm going to take time to add these two extra verses, which I think are powerful. Verse 19 says, and also for me. So Paul says, and also just pray for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. So Paul says one of the most powerful prayers you can do is pray for your leader, who is the preacher, who who is the one who keeps giving you the gospel. Pray for him that the word of God comes out of his mouth stronger because what the, what is happening is he's giving you ammunition. So pray that the person who's giving you the ammunition doesn't get cut off. So when you just simply pray, when you come to church, you say, God, I pray that Pastor Andre has a word for me. That simple prayer is going to help me. I'm going to be more effective at my job. I'm going to be more offensive. I'm going to be more helpful to you because you prayed for me. So that's another strategic thing that we can use. And here's verse 20. For which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So Paul says, the reason why I go through what I go through is because of the gospel. The fights and the things that I have, and he was in literal chains. He was locked up as a prisoner because of doing something right. And so some of the battles that the leader has is because of the gospel. So don't let them go through the battle and then you not be praying for them that the battle turns in their favor and they're able to do more of what they're called to. Hey, I want my pastor to preach more. Somebody should be praying. I want my pastor to be able to come off the job and preach more and write more and travel more and, and preach the gospel more. Not because you just care about me, because you, you're, you're saying that he's effective at what he's doing and I want him to be more effective. And so I'm going to pray for him that he grows in that area. So God, if the, if the devil's going to attack him, I want him to be even better at what he's doing. So that type of prayer, even though you're not praying for yourself, you're praying for me, that is very offensive and it goes a long way. It makes you armed and dangerous. And then the scripture says praying for all saints. So not just for the pastor, but what other saints can you pray for? Maybe it's not even people in your own church. What other saints that you know that you can pray for, that you can hold uh, together? And that makes us very offensive. So as I close, I will say this, that when we uh, when we started at the beginning, uh, I prayed for a person named Josh Allen. Well, Josh Allen, there was a man that came to us. He was a Mexican man. Uh, he came to us and he preached. His name is Matthew Allen. And if you remember, he used the tagline, Jesus, 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 homie. And so he came and he shared with us because I had impacted his life and we just became friends and I allowed him to come and preach. Well, over the weekend, his son ends up in the hospital, in the emergency room. They don't know why, don't understand why. And the next thing you know, his son is unconscious for several days, finally wakes up. He's feeling he has no feeling in like the right side of his body. And so Pastor Matt is in the battle trying to figure out what's going on with his his uh seventeen, eighteen year old son. I can't remember how old he is, but I mean that that's that's a hit. But he's got people all across who know and they're praying. The saints are praying. So this has nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with someone that goes to Deliverance Temple, but they're part of the body of Christ. So what makes us offensive is when we step into someone else's battles, like, oh, no, uh, we're not taking this. And so I've been talking to him, getting updates, and whatever he tells me, I add more prayer to it. And so I don't understand what's going on, but I tell him, hey, I got you, brother. I'm going to pray. And so I've been praying. And so today when we opened up Bible study, I prayed and called his name out. That makes us offensive because if you fight one of us, you got to fight all of us. I don't even have to know you, 
But hey, I'm praying for the situation because we are a band of brothers, a band of sisters. We are kingdom minded. We are aligned. We are connected with our creator continuing. We are confessing our deliverance consistently. We are committing to serve creatively and we're communicating Christ's love compassionately. And one of the most compassionate things you can do in Christ's love is to pray for other people. And that makes you armed, but also makes you dangerous. So having said that, we're going to close and we're going to bow our heads and pray. Dear gracious heavenly father, God, we thank you. And we praise you. God, we thank you for the power of prayer and the ability to prayer. We thank you for how prayer is a help. And God, even in, even in a simple thing, while I was here, uh, struggling and sniffing, how brother Jared just got up and brought me some tissue to help me, uh, blow my nose. Just that simple act. Let our prayers be like that. Let our prayers just step up and help people in times of need and make a difference. And so, God, we're going to be that way. We're going to be armed and we're going to be dangerous and we're going to make a difference in the kingdom. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, we praise you. We love you. Amen. God bless you. Have a great rest of your week. We thank you for everything that God is doing in your life and everything he continues to do. So keep moving forward, going higher and higher, deeper and deeper, wider and wider, and making God proud in the way that you uh, live your life for the kingdom of God. All right. God bless you. Love you.